And now, a word from our sponsors. Summertime is here, and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMart.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Vickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. For more information, go to www.MythMart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at MythMart.com. Yeah, I remember Quinn and his family. It was uh, 2220. You know, life was a depressing, dead in existence thanks to the aftermath of global warming. The only thing they had to look forward to was a mandatory 40-year lifespan, at which point they'd be unceremoniously put to death and turned into compost. But only if they lived that long. You know, then one day, Quinn made a fateful decision, and, you know, there were disastrous consequences. Consequences that forced Quinn and his wife and their son and their friend, to flee the confines of the city in search of a different life. They were searching for something better. Their hopes lie in the distant snow-capped mountains, but to get there they had to cross that dreaded no-man's land, all while being chased by the World Order Security Police who had orders to shoot to kill, and their food and water was running short. Could they make it to reach their new lives? Read their inspiring story to find out in Jim Bates' Something Better, now available in paperback and ebook. For more information, go to www.mythmart.com. This is not a test. This is your annual announcement. This year we are offering Scarefair, which will be held on Saturday, October 30th at the San Bernardino County Fairgrounds in Victorville, California. Gates open at 9 a.m. and close at 9 p.m. General admission tickets are only $22 in advance and $25 at the door. VIP tickets are $45 in advance and $50 at the door while supplies last. In the morning, we will be offering trick-or-treating for the kids throughout our vendors. And for the adults, we have tons for you as well. Come meet horror icons like Joe Bob Briggs, Elaine Dietz from The Exorcist, Dr. Satan himself, Walter Phelan, and John Massari, who composed Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Don't forget that we have the psychotic carnival of thrills, where you become part of a horror story. Then, 
when the sun goes down. Enjoy our live music as Roadwork opens for American Zombie, a Rob Zombie spook show. That's not enough? Okay, how about a Scream Queen contest hosted by the ladies of the Taki Horror Podcast Show? Or our cosplay contest, one for the kitties and one for the adults. So gather your courage and come join the fun. For more information, go to www.pcehd.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Good morning. Welcome to My Public Life as American Nerd. I am Eddie. And this morning we have Walter Phelan. Good morning, Walter. Hey, hey, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Dr. Satan. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're most famous for when you when you go places or is Dr. Satan? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've you know, I've done maybe 40 other monsters in my career, but um, yeah, he's the standout for sure. Yeah. I mean, Rob's fan base is so huge. It's unbelievable the power that guy has. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the music turning into movies, movies, music, it just combines well. Uh, people were ecstatic when he started doing movies, and then he they he kind of blew up when he did Halloween. But now they're talking about the monsters. So we'll yeah, see. they're not on the monsters. I've seen a bunch of sculpts already online. And uh, Wayne Toth is doing all this stuff, of course. That's how I met Rob in the first place was through Wayne Toth. He's a makeup artist at Hollywood. And he worked uh, for K&B Effects for years and years. I ran into him on Dust Till Dawn, and he ended up doing my makeups on that. And we became friends. And then K&B ended up using me for years after that. TV shows, movies, just whenever they needed a a skinny monster in there, they'd throw me in the suit. And uh, so then... He started working for uh, for Rob, and uh, you know he does all his all the stuff on his stage shows and all his movies and all his video stuff. Oh wow! Makeup. Okay, the stage Monsters. too. All the props, all that stuff is Wayne Toth. Yeah, that's so. Uh, of course, he had shot House of a Thousand Corpses and um, gave it to Universal, and they saw it, and they wanted to see the Doctor Satan guy. So I think that was up to Universal. They said they gave him money for two more weeks of reshoots. And that's when I came in. And um, he just asked Wayne who he thought would be good to play the doctor. And Wayne so, tossed it up. So, so they were never supposed to show the doctor? I don't think Rob ever wanted to see him. No, oh, wow. he, just wanted to, he just wanted to leave that in the imagination of the audience. Because for a while, he was like, maybe it was the grandpa. You know, maybe it was this other character. And uh, so he wanted it just to be this ethereal thing that maybe the audience made up in their own mind. And then I think universal, I mean, some of this I make up on my own and then other, I know for a fact, I know they wanted to see him and, and then gave him two more weeks of uh, reshoots. That's when I came in. So I barely even saw Rob and um, I didn't see the other cast members except for Jen. You know, I thought I, I didn't think that much about it. I knew about Rob a little bit. And I thought, yeah, it was another movie I did. It was another guy, you know. And then, bam, it blew up. 
it became iconic. There you are right there on screen. There you go. Doctor saying you have a guy, I think he's on a gurney. Um, Yes. What are you you doing to him? (laughs) Uh, Operating on his brain, I think. Yeah. Uh, Doctor saying it was so iconic because in the movie, he's talked about so much throughout the entire movie and finally get to be seen at the end. And it's one of those characters that takes over the movie Dr. Saiyan is the iconic figure throughout the whole movie and there you are. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and the fact that they kind of came up with it at the end and on the fly is even more cool. Um because I I wish you everyone could see that set how it really was. It was funny because uh we did I think I did three days on the film and only shot one day. Oh, and wow. uh and then a few days later uh Wayne Toth had called me and said, Oh Rob's pissed. All the footage is out of focus. <laughs> wow. and so if you really study it closely, you see it's almost kind of a still. In, uh, I mean, it's, you know, there was a lot more footage that was shot. Yeah, that's for sure. And um, so that was just one of those things, you know, where well, it, works then, with, of course, it, it kind of works with how he wanted to make the movie using Dr. Shane because he didn't want Dr. Shane to be seen anyways. Yeah, right, right, right. Kind of but then when it. you do see it, it's it's such an um, amazing design and the whole thing is just so fucking cool, you know. Did you have any influence on, on how he's supposed to be? Because you you are from a um, a background of doing special effects, correct? Yeah, yeah, I still do. Yeah, I still work. Uh, I'm back in L.A. now. I'll probably be uh, over at Legacy Effects on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 for maybe the next oh, awesome. three months. Yeah, so I'm going to work the rest of the year down here, and then I head back home to Oregon. Did you have year. Did you have any influence on on doing Doctor Zane? No, no, not at all. Just on you know how I wanted to move and my thing, you know. But as far as design and everything else, no, that was Rob. I've seen a sketch that Rob did of him, which uh, was pretty cool and looks very much like it. And then Rob just he lets Rob do his own thing. I, I mean, Rob lets Wayne do his own thing and sculpt, you know. So Rob has a lot of the vision already in his mind before he starts the, yeah. the movie and kind of uh, works with the the uh, special effects department. Well, yeah, because he sketches also. So, you know, he's, I mean, he's, a, he's an all-around artist. You know, you'll see Rob on a set and he'll be down in the corner painting, you know, painting weird shit on the wall and before it <laughs> takes. He's just, he's just a cool artist, that guy. Yeah. Well, was, oh, oh. You know. Huh? I got his, uh, his his new album cover shirt right here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. I I like his uh his work on um on a lot of his older albums uh with the um like the kind of monsters uh, look on his old albums that kind of art. I think I have an album somewhere. Yeah, kind of a retro '60s thing. Very oh, yeah, much. Yeah, very. Yeah. Surf punky and uh, uh, rat think and you know all, all yeah rat think cool yes. stuff yeah I love that kind of stuff too uh, I'd love to see it more in his movies one of my favorites of his is Super Beasto I love that oh that, yeah that is awesome I, <laughs> I just think it's great yeah <laughs> now you said you're working on Garden of the Galaxy three um, did you work on the other two previous uh, we did part two at Legacy years ago uh, the first one was done in England. And then part two came to Legacy. Then, of course, three was supposed to happen, but there was all that controversy with Gunn and all that, you know. Yeah. And it kind of left his plate, and they just held out, and then that faded away. So he's back again. Well, um, one of my favorite Marvel characters of all of Marvel 
is that guy right there. If you can see, I have, collect- yep, I have a collection of Rocket up there. Yeah, I, I I know a little bit about it, but I can't say nothing. Oh, about the movie? About Rocket. Oh. Oh. If it, has any, cool. if it has anything to do with the comic books, yeah, I'm pretty sad. <laughs> if no, it has, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. If it has anything to do with the comic books, then yeah, it's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I do, I I do know that might happen in that is that he might be a puppet. Um, no, I want to go back to when uh, you work at for from uh, from Dust to Dawn. That's one of my. Uh, I think that's one of my. If it's not my favorite vampire movie. Um, I love that movie. I love the way it's written by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, the the way he wrote that movie and the dialogue in that movie is incredible. Uh, that Dracula, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and The Lost Boys are my three favorite vampire movies. But I think Dust of Dawn stands out uh, just because of the writing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I was still pretty early in my career. So I, I started making effects in like 92 and uh, I worked for Todd masters effects. He's masters effects. Right. He's up, in, he's up in Canada now. And uh, I just started, I didn't know. I mean, back then, of course we didn't have the internet. So there was maybe two or three books you could find on doing makeup and prosthetics, uh-huh. you know, and I'd study and study that stuff. And I'd played around with it as I was a kid in the seventies, you know, when I was in high school and stuff. And then it was music, music, music. So, kind of came back in my head just the monster thing came back to me and, and how i kind of always wanted to be a monster at least try that see what it was like you know to be a movie monster which was always my favorite guy in the movies you know i always loved frankenstein the creature and dragon all more than any of the people now you, and, you also got to work with uh uh tom savini yeah oh well let's see a little bit i know he was on a movie called necronomicon but yeah he was just kind of hanging out. He was going to do a big zombie thing in that, and they cut it. What else? Not really. That was the only thing I think I remember him being on. Um, yeah. He played a pretty big role. Uh, oh, and, well, uh, Dust Till Dawn, of course. Yeah. Dust Till Dawn, yeah. That yeah. would be phenomenal to uh, not just see his special effects, but to have him on the movie set as well. Act- yeah, he's, he's he's a fun guy. And, of course, I see him at cons all the time, you know. Now, what was just what I was saying about Dust Till Dawn was that when I was working with Todd, I just kept bugging him to get me in a suit. And then we did, he, we were doing Tales from the Crypt the last couple seasons at that point. And um, so I did a vampire and like an old man in a couple episodes. And he was like, okay, that's fine. So that's when I got like the demon suit in Demon Knight. Yeah, that's Demon how I got Knight. that. And uh, so that kind of proved is that got me into full-time suit work. And KMB guys had seen Dust, uh, Demon Knight. And they were just prepping for Dust Till Dawn. So they're like, we want those skinny guys as our vampires. We want those dudes. So that's kind of how I met guys, them. You guys move really good. You you come into the character just animated, actually, your movement, your uh, your theatrics with the costume works very well. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, I always try to put, you know, for, for years and years, they'd use stunt guys as monsters and stuff like that. No, he's very kind of sluggish and just, I don't know. They never looked that great to me. So I always like to really think about the monster, think about like his point of view, even though he doesn't say anything or whatever, but, and really think about different kinds of animals, movements, stuff like that with like cats, you know, or whatever, you know, it makes it look more like an animal is the way you move your yeah. legs. 
your legs are pivoted in a position where you kind of look animal-like. Well, yeah. Well, on Demon Night, we had those stilts on, and those were quite, that's probably the worst thing I ever wore. Huh. Um, we did all body paint. We had very few prosthetics on. It was mostly our bodies painted. That was torturous. And then we had helmets that we could pull on and off, which was okay. But we had these battery packs in our crotches for the tails to move, which I think maybe you see for a half a second in the movie. You know, you go through all that stuff and you never even see something like that. And so that was, those were pretty uncomfortable uh, to wear. And then the stilts, they were maybe a two-inch pad. So our feet are straight down. So we had to keep moving just to stay up, which added to the kind of added to the whole thing with those monsters because they always look like they were ready to pounce like at any second, you know. So it's funny that things like that just by accident, you know, all that movement makes it feel like something else. And I didn't plan that. So, you know, things always end up on the fly so much in movies. (laughs) Now, Now, what was your first movie, the very first movie then? Uh, very first th- movie, uh, after I did a couple of those Tales from the Crypts, I did The Prophecy with Chris Falken. Right, yep. And uh, that was through Scott Patton, who is a designer now at Legacy Effects. So we sort of started at the same time. Uh, he's an amazing artist, Scott Patton. He's worked for all the different effects companies. And um, he designed, so he they had this sycophant character, which uh, kind of sat with the Satan guy. And I uh, went out to Arizona for a week and, and shot that. That movie stuck in my mind for so many years. That's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I, I want I want to go back and revisit it because that movie just uh, not just creeped me out, but uh, Christopher Walken plays such a good part in that yeah. movie. Um, yeah. But but it was so much embedded in my head that I, that movie was one of the ones that would actually uh, scare me. But, yeah. It's it's a it's a great movie. I would I think the ending kind of peters out, but they they took it away from the the guy at the end and kind of reshot the ending. Is there anything that scares you anymore? <laughs> movie wise and stuff, I don't know. Not not really. No, I mean I you know. Do you look at movies as a um, as an effects artist and kind of like dissect it? Yes, at first, when I first started, it kind of ruined movies for me. So in the 90s, I had a hard time. I had to reevaluate. I had to change, switch my brain over after a while because I would pick everything apart and I'd end up, I didn't even watch the movie. I didn't even yeah. enjoy it. I'm <laughs> yeah. so involved in picking apart. After a few years, I got rid of that and I can enjoy a movie again. I don't care if the effects are good or bad. You know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's a good story, good acting, then it's fine with me, you know. But I, I'm big on I, I'm a big old time movie. I like film noir and old westerns and and old horror movies. And you know, saw so Suicide Squad the other day. That was pretty good. That was quite oh, gory too. Yeah, it was very gory. Uh, very disappointing because so many of those actors in the beginning were gone. <laughs> well, that happens in every one of those movies. <laughs> I was like, that's the weird part. I was looking forward to seeing Pete Davidson. Uh, he's from um, Saturday Night Live. I was looking forward to seeing him as a character, and he was gone. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. gone right Spoiler away. Spoiler alert. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought John Cena was funny. There's some parts in that movie that I, I really enjoyed. It. I did really enjoy that movie. And then it came out to uh, the part that came out was the starfish walking. Yeah. Wacky. Um, yeah, that was kind of zany, wacky. And I was like, what the hell are they doing? And I thought that kind of ruined it. But then I looked back. I thought, you know what? I'm a big fan, a huge fan of this guy right here. Godzilla. Oh, yeah, me too. Well, and yeah. these and, and and that part reminded me of Godzilla. 
Well, so, they say, it looks like we got a big ajour, you know. <laughs> so so then I actually enjoyed it. I was thinking, God, this is just like Godzilla. I should I should embrace this instead of dislike it. So I ended up liking it. <laughs> yeah, and then if you look back through DC Comics, you see it's one of their main villains. Yeah. Uh the first group, right? Fight him, I think. That yeah. big starting thing. But it was weird and wacky. We worked on that at Legacy and made Hundreds and hundreds of starfish. Oh my God! Around those. Starfish. Oh, you you worked on that movie, Suicide Squad. Or... <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did all the starfish, and we did the weasel, which I wish had been in the movie. Because when I relooked up his character, he was quite a super. He was like a werewolf kind of superhero. Yeah, and... the weasel was one of those characters that was like, I didn't even know they were going to put him in the movie, and then you see him walking around. That's kind of like one of those. Weird. Yeah. yeah, they just made him weird. Like I don't know. Yeah, but we did all that and um, polka dot man's makeups, which turned out pretty cool. I thought those those were all practical lights. I think underneath. that I think that effect was really good. How you threw the polka dots around? That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So before you got into special effects and movies, you you were actually a drummer for a band called Cold September. Yeah, I uh, well, I played. I've been playing drums my whole life since I was like seven, and um, you know, I was like a seventies kid, and you know, like Black Sabbath, and Zeppelin. And, Alice Cooper and all that stuff. And uh, then I discovered I had a band, you know, high school band. We play parties and stuff like that, you know. And then I discovered punk rock in late 79, early 80. Yep, that's I when went, it all started. Yeah, I went to the Starwood. I had seen a few things. I had the Sex Pistols record, but I had seen a few things about L.A. punk. And I went down to the Starwood and saw Black Flag. And I don't know, maybe Red Cross was opening for them. And Dez was singing at the time, and uh, he could get through about two songs, and his voice was out. Did you, grow, have, did you uh, grow up in the West Coast or the East Coast? I grew up uh, in Simi Valley, in okay. San Fernando Valley, L.A. area, yeah. So I went all the way down there by myself, took the bus to Hollywood. I had long blonde hair. I was scared shitless waiting in line. There were, like, Nazi punks, and, you know, I'd seen it. <laughs> and i get in, and i hid in the back. And I was just in the back, and I'd never seen... You know, the music was almost horrible. I mean, Dez's vocals were gone in, in, in two songs, but the energy of it, I, I'd never seen anything like that. And there were kids diving off the balcony. And, you know, they were beating the shit out of another long-haired guy way at the front. And it was just, it was insane. Got and it. I was, from that night on, I went home, cut my hair, and I was punk rock all the way out. Uh, which which club was that? The Troubadour? Or? That was the Starwood. So, uh, yeah, Rodney Bingenheimer was still playing records in the disco, so you could go. I, disco I, I, and I love Rodney. Love Rodney. Uh, and then big band room, and uh, it lasted about another year after that, and they closed it down. And then, of course, punk exploded. I had a band called RF7 for years. RF7? RF7, yeah. And we played with all those bands, SD and Bad Religion and all those guys, you know. Oh, so you played for many years. We played for many years, yeah, even into our, even coming back in our older age and stuff, but kind of all the punks came back in the 2000s. It was like all the old bands came back, and we were another one that did. And then Cold September came after I got sick of punk, became sort of gang-oriented, and every show would turn into a gang fight, and I was, I, I got out of it. It's not why I did it, because everybody was like friends at first, you know, yeah. and, uh, and then it became a, a big rivalry thing. This is a so lot. we went we went glam after that. Grew our hair back out. Oh, saying glam rock. You got back into our girlfriend and wife's closets, you know, and there was went and that was called September, and then makeup and hairspray. Uh, yeah, more hairspray and and uh, the crimpers back then. You had the crimping, we crimp our hair, you know. All yeah. 
And then we used to play with Jane's Addiction and all kinds of big bands. Oh, one of my favorites, Jane's yeah. Addiction. Yep. And then I quit music, and then yeah, I'm 62 now, so I've been in and out of about a million bands. But you're but right in, now, a, but you're in a band right now. You got together yes. with the band in 2017, right? Cat Todd and the Rank Outsiders. Cat Todd uh, used to have a punk band called the Lazy Cowgirls out of L.A. Um, did pretty well for years and years, and um, he actually works at Legacy. And so I've been there, what, maybe seven years, seven or eight years now at Legacy on and off. And uh, his drummer and bass player had quit. And he knew I played, but um, he thought I was busy and asked me if I knew any drummers. And I was like, yeah, I, I play. Sure, I'll come audition. So I joined his band and we've been full force since then for about six years, seven years now. That's and cool. we got, yeah, we're going to Texas. We got European tour, which has been canceled twice now because of COVID. COVID. Yeah, so hopefully this coming summer, but we don't know. I don't know. So uh, last year, did you have any gigs that were not supposed to happen, but did happen? Or yeah, our big, big Euro tour, uh, European tour, or the Shock Festival, which is pretty big, and then like two weeks of gigs are surrounding that festival, and so that's been canceled twice now. Yeah, so we're back. We we played about three weeks ago here in LA. We got a gig next week, so we got gigs in the local area. You know. And I think we're going to we're going to Texas. Hopefully, we were supposed to go up to Oregon, but now that's bad again. So I don't know. You know, we're you have to play it by ear right now. Yeah. So even with the cons, I don't know if all the cons are going to happen for the rest of you. We'll I don't see. know. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's what uh, you did. You miss cons from last year because yeah. that's that's kind of your livelihood going out and seeing the public and seeing your fans. Uh, yes. Yeah. Definitely. It's definitely like uh, the the back end of. Uh, that's one thing Rob said about, you know, everybody in his movies, like, well, they're enjoying the back end of, of the films, you know, which is true. I mean, you saw Sid, you know, King of the Cons and uh, and Bill and me and Jen goes out and uh, and Mukes and everybody, you know. So, yeah, it, it, it helps a lot. Once everything came back a few months ago, I'm booked solid through the rest of this year. So we've got band gigs and cons through December. Let's hope they all happen. I'll yeah. be seeing you soon. Yep. Scarefare, October 30th this year up in Victorville at the San Bernardino Fairgrounds. Walter Feenland will be there. Yeah. Do, do, you, have, do you usually go in costume or, or have you been in costume many times? We started that a couple of years ago and uh, I've done it about three or four times now. Usually at the request, you know, if they want to do the costume photo ops. I have a gal that redid the Dr. Satan makeup and uh, yeah, we get all dolled up. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are excited uh, when I post your picture on uh, your arriving picture. They go crazy. Nice. A lot of fans that want to see you. Uh, it's yeah, funny, right. though, because uh, I say, what's feeling from House of the Thousand Purposes, right? Purposes, they just say, Dr. Zane, Dr. Zane. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, they come know. on down. Well, you know, we talk about monsters and movies and music, you know, whatever. I got uh, 8x10s and uh, other trinkets for sale. Great. Hopefully I'll have a uh, uh, trick or treat has a bunch of stuff coming out. They start making like retro action figures from house of thousand corpses. And they've got these nice little busts and ornaments of Dr. Satan and all this cool stuff coming out. So hopefully oh, I'll cool. have that. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah. Dr. Satan action figure. Yeah. The, uh, the um, Spalding ones coming out, there's ads already, but they're like retro eighties. So they're, they're sort of dopey and you squeeze, their legs yeah. together, yeah. smooth, but they're yeah, made that cool. way. Yeah. So they got a whole line of stuff. They're going to do Dr. Satan, a baby. Oh, and Professor also. 
which looked pretty cool. Not enough of that guy's stuff. Another iconic uh, figure from uh, House of the Dove and Corpses of Sid. Uh, yeah. Doing oh, uh, yeah. Ca- Captain Spaulding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, I mean, Sid was great. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. He was always really fun at cons. I saw him, well, in Florida, which was, what, two years ago? Not that yeah. long. We have, a, we have a cosplayer coming out, and he plays uh, Captain Spaulding. He looks exactly like him. He's a great <laughs> cosplayer. Really? You look exactly like him. I, I got to get him over to your booth to take a picture because he, he looks identical. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I miss that, guys. So that's going to be happening on October 30th. You're going to be in great company with uh, Eileen Dietz from uh, uh, The Exorcist. She plays the demon on The Exorcist. Um, yeah, nice. Lisa Wilcox. She's from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and 5. Uh, Bo Bob Briggs. He's going to be cool. there as well. Awesome. Um, nice. Yeah, so pretty good lineup for you. Uh, there's some there's some other characters ac- actors uh, so two two gals from um, Universal they're called the Taki uh, Horror Podcast Show they they'll be there as well and um, the Grim Like Collective John Masari he's the composer of Killer Clowns so oh okay yeah. oh nice so yeah, I know I know the Kato brothers I used to work for those guys oh, yeah, here yeah yeah did you did you, you used to work with them on certain things or on Killer Clowns. <laughs> I wore an alien suit in some uh, kind of straight to Viewmaster movie. Uh, <laughs> a few other things. Done some auditions with him and stuff. I've known him here, you know, on and off for years. Yeah. What was the last movie you done? Last that movie I did. Uh, gosh, I did a gin movie. That was oh, five or six. That was a long time ago. Now, um, I, you ever see that movie, Gin? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that was a great movie. I actually liked it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and and I've done a lot of commercial work, you know, since then. So not so much movies anymore. Uh, but through been legacy, working, I do. Been working on the band. Yeah, band is really important right now. The music we want to make something, you know, make something really stick in our last third of life here. You know, we'll never stop. But uh, yeah, a few commercials and uh, but not much film work. What what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie, like of all time, of all times, just of, of every every genre. What's your favorite? The original Planet of the Apes. Oh, and I oh. saw that when I was seven or eight, and so that's really hard to get. The one with Charleston Heston, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like one of my favorite movies. And Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea is one of my favorite movies. Wow, I don't hear that too much, but I love. I, it. I, I, I do remember that movie quite a bit. Um, it's great. I grew up with that, you know. Well, you've got steampunk, you know, for years now, which is pretty much from the designs of that movie. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's, definitely. That's the most steampunk movie there is, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The the design from uh, the ship is uh, has a lot yeah. to do with that steampunk look. Yeah, I was obsessed with that thing. I've collected models of that thing for years and years. And mm-hmm. horror movies, I mean, like Creatures and stuff, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon is probably my favorite old horror movie that's just my favorite suit i've ever seen it still is like one of my favorite suits ever yeah we had we had our kids watch that movie several times bringing back the old movies to them uh yeah. my, my youngest son loves it yeah it, uh, that the, that figure is uh throughout my house uh, <laughs> yeah. we have you we have different uh different types of art but that figure is one of the figures that is throughout the house the creature, yeah. The creature, yeah. 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 My wife loves that one. Going back to um the uh creature from Black Lagoon, 
did you ever see that and say, I want to make a costume like that? Or I always just wanted to like be in the costume. Be in I the costume. To be that guy. Yeah. You know, making it wise, I never thought of that when I was a kid. I never really separated that, that the guy was wearing makeup or that, you know, the guy had a suit on, you know, in your child's mind, you're like, that's a real creature. I don't know. You don't think it's a real thing, but I don't know. You just don't, you just don't think that the guy's wearing a suit, you know? Uh, then later on, yeah, of course I got into, uh, I had the Dick Smith book when I was a teenager in the seventies and, uh, would make up my friends and, you know, do the best I could. And, and, uh, Never thought about going to makeup schools. Well, I think there was one makeup school back then in the seventies. And, uh, you know, looking back, I wish I had at, the, at that time, but I was so focused on wanting to be a, a rock star that, you know, with, yeah. with, the, with latex, uh, uh, working with latex, you used to do that on your friends before you became an artist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But years before, like yeah. years before I ever thought I could make, make money at it, you know, and, but at the point where I went and did, I mean, uh, you know, I play music and work odd jobs till I'm sick of it. And just enough to buy new drumsticks, new gear, go on tour. Then I ended up getting married and having a kid and early nineties. I was like, maybe I need a real job, you know, because yeah. <laughs> this kid's going to eat every day. So <laughs> I guess they're going to feed him. And uh, it was like, I don't really want to work. So I thought, ah, oh, well, that monsters would be fun. So I just kind of found, I somehow finagled my way into the makeup effects industry. Well, you managed to work your way into uh, Guardian of the Galaxies, being able to switch from uh, like a horror type movie to a Marvel uh, superhero type movie. Was that a big change in the way you, yeah. you work at as, the, the makeup? Uh, as far as me at, at the shop working? Yes. yes. Not really. It all it becomes kind of factory work after a while. I mean, there'll be one-off makeups and puppets and suits and things like that, but Something like Guardians of the Galaxy, or uh, when I was there a few months ago, we had done uh, the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, which they oh. just—I think they just wrapped all practical stuff, all dragons, everything, the zombies, everything's rubber. Yeah, it's going to be really oh, cool. cool if you like that kind of thing. That, uh, and, uh, yeah. So now a Guardian show turns into a uh, kind of a factory thing. There are so many pro- prosthetics they need to make. Um, you just end up churning them out every day you know and uh mostly at uh, uh legacy i run the foam latex which is you know old school makeup but still used uh you still have to use foam for a lot of jobs and there's not a lot of us left in town that really run foam anymore some of the kids learn it but i don't know the old timers have all kind of gone it, out it seems like there was a time when cgi was the thing and everything they did with cgi like star wars movies and other yeah. other movies they use CGI and I I growing up in the eighties and the nineties, um, being able to see the Star Wars characters in puppets or in costume, that was a thing. That was that's the reason why I love those movies. That's why I enjoyed the characters. And then seeing them in the later years, just recently, uh with all CGI characters, it, it kind of killed it for me. Yeah, and they went way too strong, I think, with CGI from the beginning before it was even good, you know. So you have all these movies with really crappy CGI. And the only way they really pulled that off in the beginning that nobody really used was to, like, have long shots of CGI stuff that's impossible to pull off human-wise and then go to a close-up of something practical. But, you know, not many directors did that. They, You know, you have a close-up of some CGI thing that just looked awful. 
But now it's turned around. These directors now want to shoot all practical stuff. So, well, it's the all practical set- stuff has gotten better. Has everything, gotten everything goes in circles, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. I think the effects are so much better now. You can watch a movie and uh, be able to to not even be able to tell if it's real or or, or fake. You you don't skip a beat. Is yeah, what I'm saying it's just so good. And it's it's come to the point, at least with motion capture, where if you see it like the last Planet of the Apes movie, and they've got the motion capture, it's so fucking good. I mean, it, I'm convinced. I'm totally convinced when I yeah. see that. But you know, I was I've been told my whole life that I'd never do this job again or that job again. <laughs> I remember in the '80s when drum machines came around and techno and everything's going techno, yeah digital. They're like, oh, you'll never play the drums again. It's like, okay. And then I remember when CGI came around, I was like, you'll never run foam latex again. It's like, okay. You know, when I go to Legacy, we get 55-gallon drums of foam. We run through those things pretty quick. So it's all sick, you know, like I said. Everything comes and goes. Well, this has come back in a hard way, you know, albums. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, Being able to buy albums. Um, I just recently bought the system behind me, and it's it's pretty awesome because I could take CDs and I can mix them together. I can slow them down. I can play them backwards. I can scratch with them, whatever you want to do with it. I got rid of my whole CD collection. I got rid of all my albums except for the few ones I wanted to keep. And now I'm going back and rebuying albums and rebuying right. CDs just so I can enjoy them again. And it's so weird. Plus, Pardon me? You're buying older vinyl? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, both. I'm buying older vinyl and newer vinyl. A lot of the older stuff is coming back with digital copies, and um, they actually have the album like in certain colors or in certain prints of, of the album. Uh, they're pretty cool. I mean, they they've come a long way since when I used to buy records when I was younger. I miss that crackling noise. That well, crack- that's, that's I'm wondering about that because I don't have any of the modern vinyl. I still have like a, a collection of older stuff. I don't even have a record player, but I was curious because these new records are, are not analog anyways, they're digital. So right. they're digital transfers to vinyl. And I wonder if you back to back, you know, played whatever album you want, you know, to choose from play an original. Yeah, there you go. And then play a digital copy on vinyl. Is there a difference? Do you hear a difference between that analog vinyl and yeah, the digital? Because I got, I have some old doors. Yeah, and, I, and then it has some new doors, and there's there is that difference. Are they fuller? The you, the, you hear a lot of with the older ones. You hear a lot of the bass, and that that's what I enjoy about the older ones. And you hear yeah. a lot of the crackling uh, in the record, but the newer ones are, are kind of evened out. You don't hear a lot of the bass that's mixed in with the treble and everything else. The right, mixture yeah. of the music is smoother, but I miss that that sound of the older records like putting the needle on the actual album and listening to it start up and hearing yeah. that that bass it's just something that i enjoy either where whether i'm listening to it with uh, with headphones or listening to it live uh without the headphones it's it's a, it's just an awesome sound all right so there is a difference there is a you... difference if okay. it, if you're looking for that difference you, you notice it right right if you if you collected albums back in when I was younger, I did. Um, you notice it, but I, I have some pretty. I have Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Band, uh, Lonely Heart Club Band, um, the original album. I have some uh, Beatles, some more Beatles, uh, Let It Be. 
I have a lot of uh, old stuff that uh, two Jimi Hendrix uh, ones, uh, Jimi Hendrix and uh, Otis uh, Redding uh, played in San Francisco. I have that on an album. So oh, cool. That was actually my mom's and I stole it from her. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had it since I was a kid. I, I took it from her and had it in my room for the longest time. Then I was growing up as an adult. I just kept kept it. So she never right. got it back. Yeah. But, you know, that that is what it is. I mean, we record all digitally just because it's convenient and it, it sounds fine. But, um, you know, when I first started, we, you know, the thing was you'd have to buy tape. And so when we were younger. We couldn't afford brand new tape, you know, three inch tape. So we'd always have to buy older tape and erase them and then re-record, you know, which worked fine. And we'd use Scully machines. And I do prefer that full sound of the analog much more. But shoot, it's so convenient to pop in and record digitally. We just, you know, that's what we do. It's well, so easy. Well, the thing about the, what, what I do not like about albums is the fact that you can only fit four or five, maybe five songs on one side. So if yeah. they have double albums, you're looking at two albums slipping over every four songs. Right, yeah. That's what I just like, especially if you get a Greatest Hits album. And uh, you look, I'm so used to getting Greatest Hits on CD. You throw that thing on and it plays the whole thing. There's no flipping over. There's no changing them. Uh, that That's what I dislike about them because they only play four songs on each yeah. other. Yeah. But I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. Less is more to me, you know. It makes yeah. us more dramatic and more important. Not as bad as eight tracks were, where they'd always eight cut tracks. the eight tracks during the longest song, you know. Yeah. If you have like a long song on the on the first side, it would cut half. I've got to look for one and show my kids an eight track because I, I don't think they even know what eight track is. Uh, the cassettes, they just kind of like look at me because I have some old cassettes that have, and we don't have a cassette player anywhere in the house. Nowhere yeah. in the house. Oh, I do have a little walk band that my son wants to take. He's nine years old. Let me have that. Let me have that. You don't have any tape to play on it. Yeah, he's like, I want to listen to it. It's like, you have to put a tape in it. To, so I might give him some of my old, old tapes. Yeah. But they barely, okay, they go down to the grandma's house, and the grandma still has uh, VHS. Yeah. And they, they'll, they'll watch movies on that. Um, but I, I have to get a hold of an eight track and show them. I mean, because, but they sound they, good too. Do, do, do they? Oh, that's another thing that sounds really good. That one you get a lot of bass out of. I think you only get yeah. bass out of those because they had a pretty big tape in there. So you know, it sounded yeah. great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to get my kids uh, to take a look at that. But uh, I remember growing up. That I'm going to date myself. I'm 52 years old too. Um, I remember there's only AM radio. Really? Yeah, AM radio. Oh, we had FM out here. I mean, we had FM, but it wasn't that. It wasn't as big as what it is. AM radio, I think they had a um, a station called the Mighty 690. Yeah, yep. yeah. And that was AM. That was an yeah. AM. Yeah. 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 And th- that was the popular um, radio station like uh like what they listen to as far as um K Rock today. Uh right. was, was well, we had, the minus six ninety. We had KMET and KLOS out oh, in yeah. LA yeah. during the seventies. And uh yeah, the KLOS was like they were like the journey, you know, the yeah. girl station and then KMET was more like Sabbath, like the you know <laughs> oh, yeah. ant station. Yeah, there was there was a difference. I'm surprised KMET is not uh still around. KLOS is still around, but yeah, okay, uh, let's go around. Yeah, let's show around. 
uh, Kid Rock. Uh, you mentioned Rodney, Rodney on the Rock. I used to listen to him. Oh my gosh, I was so young. Um, he's the one that introduced um, the new wave crave, and even oh, some yeah. of the even the punk bands bringing them over and uh, and bringing their sound over and saying, "Look at this! Listen to these this different type of new music." Uh, that's being played on the East Coast or overseas, yep. and he brought that all that over. Yeah, um, yeah, he did. It seems like I I remember hearing K Rock on AM radio, or maybe not. Maybe it was just an yeah. odd FM. But I remember hearing it in the car out partying with my friends once, and we heard Sex Pistols and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Rodney's show. It's it's funny though because when you look at him, he doesn't look anything like the person that he is. And then um, to see him have visitors or get a phone call from people like Paul McCartney and oh yeah, uh, and when when David Bowie was alive, David Bowie was actually like one of his good friends, and yeah, which was kind of weird. Well, Rodney Rodney had a club on Sunset Strip in the late sixties. Yeah, uh, and so you know if anybody came through touring Bowie his first time, they they visit there. Uh, whoever is coming through town, they'll go to his disco. Um, I don't know how long that lasted, but I think that was the late sixties around the sunset strip riots and all that, you know, there's a very good documentary on him called the, the mayor of sunset strip. Yeah. I saw that. It was really good. It was really good. And it really gets, uh, gets you in, into his life and who he was Mm -hmm. and who, and the people that he surrounded himself with. And, but he, he's still doing radio, isn't he? He still does his show. Yeah. Yeah. He still does his show. I think that's at night. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think it's later, but yeah, he's still on. Great guy. Uh, I remember him. Uh, I, I used to be a K-Rock listener more than a KLOS or a KMET radio. I do remember uh, Dr. Demento on uh, KMET. Yeah. The Dr. Demento show. Oh, yeah. We'd always miss <laughs> We love that. Yeah. And uh, listening to a lot of ACDC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is some good. I mean, kids can't enjoy uh that kind of stuff anymore Um, yeah it's it's disposable just everything yeah it's like you say you're gonna give your kids a cassette or whatever they can listen to anything they want and find anything they want on their phone you know oh yeah i remember in the 70s we had the gem catalog which was a a a distribution company gem was it gem co or was it gem no it's just called gem and and i found that book somewhere and we could order records through that and it had everything. So, you know, I spent a long time just loving progressive rock when I was a kid and uh, and just finding all these tentacles of bands that would shoot out to this band and then that goes to this band, you know, and just this whole tree of bands all through that gem catalog. And um, and if we ordered something, we'd have to wait forever for it to come. And then it was like having a piece of gold or something, you know, where now it's just whatever. Everyone just throws their music out. You can listen to it for free and but but back then back then the thing was when you bought a record or an album or you bought a cassette or you bought a even a cd you would listen to the entire thing yeah and enjoy that that specific record and know all the songs in that record today they come out with one song maybe two songs and there's no album that goes along with it for the for the youth to enjoy now i used to lay and stare at the record cover and just listen to it over and over again. Record Read covers, the liner notes over and over and over, you know. Record covers <laughs> were the thing. I mean, uh, there were the art on it or the pictures on it. I mean, that was 
part of the collection was getting that record cover. Well, yeah. And of course, my favorite in the 70s was Alice Cooper. So if you bought one of his records, it was just full of all this crap and weird stuff and <laughs> yeah. you know, posters and things and cards and, you know, panties, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so you actually met uh, Alice Cooper, right? Yes, once. Well, I've met him quite a few times now. At uh, cons? At cons. And the first time we met him, I was in cold September and we were playing this 84 or 5 maybe. And uh, he he hadn't been around for a while. Of course, now he found out he went through his smoking crack thing. And, you know, it wasn't alcohol. He was a crackhead, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was at the Troubadour. We were doing our sound check one afternoon uh, for a gig that night. And he was sitting there with Kane Roberts. And uh, I was like, holy mackerel, you know, one of my favorite, you're my hero from when I was a kid. You know, I love you. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm getting a thing together and go back on the road. Of course, that was they were getting ready for the Constrictor Tour which was like his big comeback and kind of went back to the evil Alice and all that. So that was cool. And then, um, yeah, after that, I've met him at uh, two or three cons. And of course I, if I know he's going to be there, I have a big stack of stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. more than monsters. I have a big Alice Cooper collection. So I have a lot of 70s stuff and old posters and every tour book and, you know, everything I get my hands on. It's like my favorite thing. So I can't really go see him in concert anymore. Uh, it's, doesn't do it for me but uh, does he is he playing still i know he played of course before COVID. never stopped no not through covid but i think he'll be back on the road soon uh, but it's, big, it's it's shtick now it's like circus shtick you know yeah yeah oh yeah i still love it it's, it's more theatrical yeah and, and you it's very predictable i can predict you know like his early days were very unpredictable you know they'd have a set and a, and a theatrical thing they were doing but he would he would do whatever he felt like he's moment, a great you know? golfer He's a great golfer, yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad saw him at a couple of tournaments, you know. Oh, really? Like, yeah, he, he's like, man, he's little, but man, he can get that ball. Get that he's ball. A ball. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so would that be somebody that you uh, idolize or? I like, have, kind of you like know, your those, celebrity. Uh, yeah, idol? but boy, those wear off real quick. Anytime I've ever met anybody who I've known or idolized, it, that wears off like that, you know. Yeah. I don't have any kind of stars. I don't get stars or anything. Yeah. Then it just becomes a real thing, which is a cool memory and even better to have than some far off starstruck idea or something, you know, and you actually have a memory of meeting the guy and having a communication and stuff like that. So, yeah, I thought I would be at first, but now he said yeah. that everybody's so normal, you know, people like that are such normal people. It's, you know, you get this idea that they're not even like Rob Zombie, you know, a hippie guy. Yeah, I think I, I I think meeting Rob Zombie for me would be uh, pretty cool, but it wouldn't be like I don't get starstruck that often. I have before with only two people, which is very weird because they're not they're not really. Uh, one is for uh, he played with Nirvana. He was the fourth member. His name was a uh, uh, Pat Smear. Yeah, uh, I met the Germs in L.A. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, the Germs. Uh, I met him in back of a VIP lounge. And uh, we, we, I was told to go to the back because there was a, a bar there and there wasn't a line. So I went back there. It was empty. And I'm standing there waiting for my drink. And he's right behind me. And he says, oh, this is a this is a cool place to get a drink because nobody's here. And I turn around. And it was Pat Smear. And I didn't I didn't open my mouth or say a word. It was kind of weird that it would be him that I was, like, starstruck by. And the other yeah. Person, yeah, yeah. The other person was Christina Applegate. I... Uh, she came and sat by me 
at a dinner uh, and uh, she said, is this place taken? And I just stared at her. I walked away. I just, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I could, I couldn't talk to her. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But, uh, she's got bad news now. That's too bad about her. Yeah. I think she has MS, I think, which actually, uh, um, my lead singer, Joe Barrett from Cold September, he's unfortunately he has MS. He has for uh, years. Yeah. He fights that. But he became a, a photographer and video file. He, he lives out in the high desert outside of LA and yeah. videotapes bands and takes pictures for bands out there. It's a horrible disease or type of thing. I mean, yes. all, all, I mean, we're dealing with something like COVID right now. And to think that these other things, like MS or Alzheimer, some of those type of things, it's like you can't do anything about it. Yeah, thank God they don't spread, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. COVID or something. Yeah. yeah, this whole thing's a mess. But, Everybody get vaxxed. Wear your mask. I Get this I, over with. It's funny because I'm in the Inland Empire, which is San Bernardino County, and yeah. uh, people are walking around with no mask. Um, oh, yeah. they, have, they have cons with no mask yep. uh, and certain things. But then you go across the border between uh, Pomona and uh, Chino, because <laughs> they're that's where the count line is and yep. and you have to wear a mask it's like weird i mean it's covid does not stop <laughs> it doesn't stop at the it border does, no it doesn't know where a borderline is or anything like that but that's you know that's the american dilemma right there yeah uh you know <laughs> trying to get everybody to do the same thing or even the right thing and i just got vaccinated the first shot didn't do anything to me it hardened on my arm that was it the second one, oh my god, put me on my ass. Yeah. Uh yeah. It, it it didn't I didn't get sick, I didn't get a fever, but it felt like my body, everything that I've done in the last year caught up to me and then just affected my body where I could not my it was just painful. Right, and, right. And it only lasted a day, but it was so painful to even move. Well that's but, see, and that's what COVID would be if you got it, but worse, yeah. you couldn't breathe and all that. Yeah. I know, but hopefully this stuff all goes away. Everybody just got to do the right thing. And I hate it. I can't. I can't stand wearing the mask. But you know, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. I'm it's used like to this. It. You know, if we're in the politics, or I knew we would go there because you can't help it. It's like this. Uh, like putting everybody back in school right now. There has to be a mandate across the entire United States, whether you like it or not. Sorry, and people will say it's not. It's against my rights for my kid to have to wear a mask. There is a freaking there's a dress code for your kid to go to school. Did you yeah. forget? There's a dress code. Okay. Yeah. Remember the controversy then? It was just as bad. People were up in arms. You can't tell my kid what to wear in school. Well, yes, you can, mm-hmm. you know, and a mask is wearing another thing. So I- uh, my, my youngest ones are supposed to go back on Tuesday and we're still, um, are all your like, teachers vaccinated? No, no, they're not. No. Um, are the administration vaccinated? Our, our older kids, they have the, the vaccination. So, and they're supposed to wear their masks inside the classroom. Now, I can't be with them in the classroom, but I'm assuming that the school is enforcing that they wear their masks inside the classroom. Now, the younger ones, they're not vaccinated and they're going to school with uh, non vaccinated kids. And I mean, and they're under 11, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a Delta uh, variant going around that's even worse than the first variant. Right. Um, so it's it's hard to determine what to do in that situation. Now, I know that a lot of parents are uh, a lot of the kids to go back to school and kids are anxious to go back and meet up with their friends again and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's kind of kind of a thing that I'm just 
It's a catch twenty two. Yeah, I know. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, just, you know, uh, keep your eye out for me. I'll be at a few cons for the rest of the year and, uh, playing around the LA area. If you're anywhere in Texas, uh, we'll be out there, uh, next month, the beginning of the month. So hopefully we'll be in Austin and Houston. And then there's, Other than o- that, just, you know, there's October, October 30th, Scarefair. Walter Feeling will be there signing autographs, uh, signing some of his pictures and meeting you folks. Uh, come on out. It's at San Bernardo Fairgrounds, October 30th, in Victorville. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Come on out and talk movies and monsters. Be a great day. And there's a Rob Zombie cover band called American uh, Zombie playing, too. Oh, so, cool. So, awesome. It, oh, my gosh. I don't know if you've seen them, but they look yeah. and sound just like Rob Zombie. They do I the theatrics on stage as well. So, oh, that'll be fun. It was good talking to you, uh, Walter. And uh, you too, I Ed. appreciate you doing this and coming out and supporting Scarefair and got it all right i'll see you guys later we'll see you in a few weeks my public life as an american nerd have a good day all right take care